Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Austin, Texas. We are joined by Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Yen Yen Lee coming to us from Madison, New Jersey. We got a couple, we got an East Coast crew today. Where are you? <clears throat> well, I'm in Austin, but you oh. know, you guys. Okay. It's two, cool. it's two against one. East yeah. Coast, best coast. <laughs> Except for the fact that it's been raining for five days. Yeah. <laughs> East Coast, not so best coast. But it's All right. In Philadelphia, and that's what At counts. least we don't have tornadoes. <laughs> that's true. It's true. Yeah. We don't. We were talking about this yesterday. I don't think uh, Austin doesn't seem to have too many natural disasters because my friend was saying I would hate to live somewhere with natural disasters. Austin is a natural disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's becoming one. I'd say that. But I grew up around tornadoes. They're not as bad as they seem to be. I don't know. (laughs) Driving through Kansas, you get quite a few of them. (laughs) Big, hot, steaming take. Coleman, let's talk about swimming. We're starting with the big stuff. All right. Next on our list of, of big things, Jordan Crooks uh, backed up his 18-ish practice swim with a 19-3 at a dual meet in a Speedo, uh, which, and I'm curious as to if this changes your mind about who you think the NCAA champion will be at the end of this season in the men's 50 freestyle. I've been on the Josh Leando bandwagon. Um, We know what he's done internationally with the world championship medals. But man, Jordan Crooks is making it real hard to stay on that bandwagon. Uh, I'm sure Josh Leando is getting hammered in practice right now because that's the Florida way. Um, But as Yin was saying, Yin I'm stealing your research. Uh, She was saying this just before the podcast. Caleb Dressel won a 19-1 in the first meet of his senior season. And... uh, Josh Leando is half a second slower than that. I don't know. Like, I I think I've got to lean towards Crooks now after the 19-3 to open the season. I know Tennessee historically hasn't always done their best swimming at NCAAs. They insist that's going to change this year. But also, Jordan Crooks swam well at NCAAs last year, even if the whole team didn't. Um, so I'm a I'm I'm leaning reluctant Jordan Crooks for now. Um yeah, I was also on the Josh Leando bandwagon prior to the start of the season, and I still am. I still think when he fully rests and tapers, and like I know you, people always say that, but like I, I still think like when he's at championship meets, like he's gonna go like eighteen low or like something like that. But I do think Crooks's performances put him in that conversation for an NCAA title because prior to the start of the season, I feel like people were like, oh, it's going to be like Leando or like Seeliger or Brooks Curry because he's the defending national champion. And like Crooks was there. Like he's obviously one of the top 50 freestylers in the country, but I feel like he wasn't really like in that conversation for like the like ultimate like national champion. And I feel like he's like making a statement right now that, he is i mean these two bandwagons are getting really crowded and <laughs> brooks curry bjorn seeliger matt brownstead who tied jordan crooks at ncaa's at 1860 uh nils Crostante, like there is a lot of dudes in this race um i think we're probably all underestimating the other dudes in this race i don't know 
um, like Brooks Curry is the defending national champion. I think maybe Brooks Curry 18-5 is topped out. And so everybody else has to know if they can go 18-4, they can beat Brooks Curry. Um, at least in the 50, I think, I think that might be his top end speed. Um, but it's, it seems like as a group, we have all collectively undersold those other guys who are also very young. Bjorn Seeliger, he's an old junior, but he's a junior. Matt Brownstead's only a junior. Um, there's a lot of dudes in that race. Also, yeah. like ultimately, um, sorry, you can go. No, go ahead, Yinian. Um, ultimately, it comes down to like who's the fastest, like at the given moment. Like that's why Brooks Curry won the national title. Like Seeliger was faster in prelims, and like Jordan Crooks was faster at SECs. But like Brooks Curry do- got it done. And like even if there's like all these guys that are like all like super fast like it really comes down to like who can be like good like in that like ncaa's a final <clears throat> once again a uh, a little cameo from swim swim co-founder and uh ceo of janitorial duties mel stewart <clears throat> for people who only listen to the podcast mel <laughs> pops in on almost every episode you can't hear it because he never says anything but if you watch it on youtube You'll get a little Mel Stewart flavor. Every get week. a little Melvin. Yeah, um, I always listen on Spotify, so I never notice. <laughs> I never see Mel. Uh, Yin Yin, going off of what you said, to me, it's Jordan Crooks and it's Bjorn Seeliger because last year at NCAAs, they, they both just seemed very green, right? Bjorn went faster in prelims in the 50 and 100 freestyle and then lost to Brooks in both in the final I think this year he's going to nail it down. He's my favorite in the 50, but I think Jordan will do the same of he was good at NCAAs last year, but I think this year he he's going to have that experience and he's going to be great. Um, and so to me, that's the top two. I, I, I'm still on the Leando bandwagon, but that's more in the hundred fly hundred free. I don't think his first year he's going to nail it in the 50 yard freestyle. Cal and Cal Poly have their annual king and queen of the pool competition. Uh, we saw Destin Lasco take the top prize on the men's side while, <clears throat> sorry, Isabel Stodden uh, was the top performer on the women's side. We've seen uh, multiple teams do similar formats of meets. We saw Texas had their quadrathlon. We saw ASU have, I guess it's a pentathlon for them, the, the exact same format of hundreds of stroke plus the hundred IM. Um, for the defending uh, NCAA champion men, as well as the women who are coming off of a big coaching change, uh, was this encouraging or discouraging for you to see from the Bears? I think it was none of the above. I think the most encouraging thing that happened for Cal over the weekend is the fact that. Hugo Gonzalez shared Cal's, uh, Hugo Gonzalez is returning to Cal hype. Uh, we reached out to Dave Durden and he won't kind of confirm whether Hugo, that means he's coming back or not, but Cal is hyping him like he's coming back and Hugo is sharing that hype. Um, and Isabel Ivy was at the meet. She didn't race. So like those two things are encouraging for me, for Cal, um, I don't know. It, they they're right in the territory of what they normally are. They were missing a lot of their swimmers, um, especially on the men's side. They were missing a lot of the big names. Um, it, it made me 
have a second thought about Cal's depth this year. I think they still need to find a few more bodies. Like Destin Lasko's time was good, but it was an eight second gap uh, to the next guy. And in this format, that's a pretty big jump. So, you know, I feel like every year I'm like, ah, Cal's depth, Cal's depth. And then you start looking through the psych sheets at NCAAs and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that that's not actually a problem. Um, so I'm trying not to like overthink it, especially with the guys being gone. Um, but I don't know. I think the results were just fine. They looked good. Isabel Staden looked really good. Um, she had some great swims and secondary events, which is probably the Durden Marsh impact that seems in line with their philosophy. Um, and that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I'd say it doesn't really mean anything, but I'm leaning towards positive just because both Lasko and Staden were faster than the winning times last year. I think um, Hugo Gonzalez went 4.05 last year and Lasko was 4.042. And for the Cal, the Cal men to like have their winner go faster than the winner last year, even without their biggest stars i think that's ultimately trending towards a more positive side even if it's just like a beginning of the season dual me and same with ivy up oh, sudden sudden was faster than ivy was last year by like nearly that a second so i think it's a good sign yeah um it was shocking to me that Staten was faster than ivy was last year it's also shocking to me how much faster arizona state was uh we, i don't think arizona state men have a snowball's chance in a hot place of beating Cal at NCAAs, but it really highlights how good Arizona State was at their pentathlon. ASU was also suited for their pentathlon. I don't think Cal was. Okay, mm. that's a good point. Yeah, I, Braden, as you mentioned, it's always kind of like, what should I actually think about Cal it, it, at this time of the season? because it seems like they're either in really hard training or they're just not putting a lot of stock into swimming fast at races at this time of the season. Can, can I say something controversial? I think Always. Cal as a program, when you hear in Coleman, your brother trained theirs for a while. So he kind of knows the inside of this, but you know, Cal has some interesting sort of philosophies. If you watch at the Olympics, um, Cal men who still have races left to swim will never be in the stands because their philosophy is the best way for you to be a good teammate is to be at home recovering and preparing for your race. I think Cal Cal's culture is to not get excited by fast swimming until it counts. So like, I, I think there's like a kind of a, I, I'm playing pseudo psychologist here, but I th think there's kind of a psychology in play for them where like, they are neither put off by slow swimming early in the season, nor encouraged by fast swimming early in the season. And, and that fits with their coach's personality, right? You know, Dave Coleman, he's very, very even keeled. Um, very methodical. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Until, until his swimmer gets a bonus re-swim at NCAAs and makes the A final. <laughs> and then, then he lets loose a little bit, but he's just like. Then he yells so hard. He slips on deck. <laughs> yeah. The, he, he is a very like eyes on the long game kind of a guy. Um, and I think the team has taken on that culture. So that's probably why we always early season look at Cal and think, eh, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to win the title. And then at the end of the year, they're always right there. 
which mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's right or wrong because we've had seen other teams have success doing the exact opposite. Um, so it's just, it's just their culture. And as long as they have buy into that culture, then it's going to work for them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, on the, on the women's side to me, it looked like a team who's still kind of trying to find that identity, right. And maybe swimming isn't at the forefront right now, which makes sense considering the departure of Terry and, and the new look com- combined, whatever. Um, but but Stodden obviously looked good. Ayla Spitz, who's a big player for them, obviously uh, was right a second and a half behind her. And then um, Eloise Riley and Emily Jantris, who were two big relay pieces for them, both went 50 point in the 100 free, which to me was was fairly encouraging at this point. Enough, yeah. yeah. Well, so. and, and the Cal women are in a very different place, right? It, even with Durden and Marsh working their magic, the Cal women are not a top five team this year. They're probably a top 10 team if Isabel Ivy comes back. Um, if she doesn't, they're probably not even a top 10 team. So they they probably have a different set of goals and a different – we we have to look at them in a different way than we look at the men's team. Mm-hmm. My hot take – that's not really a hot take, is that the Cal woman, if they get Ivy back, they're not going to see a huge regression from last year. I don't think they're going to finish eighth, but I think they're going to be a little lower than that. But like, really, the only big piece that they're losing is Elise Garcia, who I believe only scored on relays. So if Ivy comes back, and I know culturally like things will be different, but... I just don't think it will be that big of a downfall that we think it will be. I think you're absolutely right. That was not that hot of a take. I know it'll be interesting. I just like saying I have hot takes. (laughs) Not that hot. We all like lukewarm take. (laughs) Thanks for the best podcasts. Uh, I honestly, if this comes to fruition, I just can't wait to see Durden on deck at the women's meet, and curious to see if he'll be whistling as much as he does at the men's meet do you think he would go or do you think he'd just send marsh and stay home with the men i think he would go my my, i think he would go but i guess we'll see uh i i feel like it would be a bad look if the acting head coach was not present at the meet yeah i agree with that moving on to another meet where they also swam the 100 im hint hint ncaa <clears throat> uh UVA had their inner squad and I my my curiosity here we're going to play a game that is not a swim swam original game but it's fun to play anyway is this nothing something or everything uh Kate Douglas and Alex Walsh were both slower in multiple events than they have been at the 2020 and 2021 iteration of this meet Okay, so I'm going to start on this one because I wrote about this meet. Um, Alex Walsh, she was slower in her events, but Kate, the only event that she was slower in was the 150 fly. And she actually broke the meet record in the 50 free. And oh, wait, she was half a second slower in the 50 fly. And then her 100 IM, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kate was also a bit slower, but in her defense, in 2020, when she swam the fastest ever 100 IM, like they did like multiple sessions because I think COVID, but her 100 IM 
on Saturday was after swimming the 50 fly, 50 free, 150 fly in a relay. And she still managed to only be like three tenths slower, which I still think is pretty impressive. And like Kate Douglas is like obviously dominant in the 100 IM. So I think she still, I think their times were still pretty impressive. And I honestly don't think it means anything that they were slightly slower. Maybe it just they weren't having as great of a day as they were last around last year when they did this event and like i don't really think it means anything i think it means nothing but i think it could mean something um you know every data point is a data point and if we're going to say that it means something we're going to need more data points but this is the first one and the some things i think it could mean are a few things i think it could mean they took an extended break after Worlds. Um, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about how that's going to be the last chance to take that extended break until Paris. So I think it could mean that. I think it could mean they're starting to shift their focus towards long course um, after their success over the summer. And I think it could mean that, oh, I'm going to get skewered for saying this. I think it could mean that some of Virginia's early energy momentum could be slowing ever so slightly. You know, some of that excitement, some of that whatever, winning a, a third straight title that could very well have been a fourth straight title if it weren't for the pandemic um, is not the same as winning the first title or even the second title. All of a sudden you're at the top and you're not you're not chasing it. You're at the top fighting everybody off. And in every program that has ever risen, look at Stanford and Greg Meehan when they won the three titles. Any program that has ever won anything um has had to deal with this transition from being the team that's chasing the up-and-coming team, the team with all the excitement, to being the team with expectations. And it could mean that they are seeing that shift, which doesn't mean they're not going to be there at the end of the year, but it might mean they're a little flatter at times in season. I could see that being the case. Um, but again, for now, I'm going to say nothing, but I think it's I think it's worth watching to see if it becomes something. I mean, I could kind of see, now that I think about it, I, I could kind of see the long course theory about like Alex Walsh and Kate Douglas focusing more on long course being right because the two of them like they've done all that they can in right. short course like Kate Douglas broke three American records and three different strokes and then she went on to have well she obviously like did great in the 200 breast but like her world's performance like wasn't as good and maybe she's chasing more of that long course success now that she's done everything in short course and I could totally see that and honestly I think out of like the Virginia stars, Gretchen Walsh might be the one that has the best year out of the three, just because she, like, she did great last year, but she lost two NCAA titles by a very close margin. And she didn't do as much like what record wise as Alex and Kate. So we might see her like her and like other Virginia swimmers rise to the top rather than the people who were the stars of the show last year in other universes, these two would have gone pro over the summer, right? Like there's a lot of universes where we've seen swimmers in their exact positions who have chosen to go pro. 
Um, and now they don't have to anymore because of the NIL and because they like their training at Virginia, they aren't, they aren't trying to change coaches and go somewhere else. So they don't have to go pro, but we also have to remember like swimmers don't get faster forever. And if, if this were just a natural plateau that we're seeing, it's not the first time we've seen 20, 21 year old women plateau naturally. So that's also a possibility, you know, that, Kate Douglas isn't going to drop a second in the hundred I am every year, right? Like she, she does video game times every year, it seems like, but at some point that's going to stop it stopped even for Katie Ledecky. Um, so I think we should, should factor that in to the conversation as well. Didn't Alex Walsh say she wanted to retire after Paris? When did she say? <laughs> I read that in a swim swim magazine, like a few months ago. So like maybe she, didn't want to go pro if she was just going to retire after her senior year so like i don't know uh <laughs> i don't know a magazine to find out <laughs> <laughs> whoa that would be a hot scoop that we got and obviously are aware of yikes sorry that really threw me for a loop uh yeah i think this means nothing also i think the who's are gonna who and Certainly at a meet where you're swimming those events once a year, if you're not just getting faster and faster and faster, I don't think that's the end of the world. And uh, I also think that we saw some promising swims from a few of their newcomers, Kamal Muhammad, Sebastian Sergile, both had uh, pretty solid swims and Claire, the tug bug tuggle also looked really good in her Is that a real debut. <laughs> I met Claire when she was 12 and someone was calling her the tug bug at that point. I feel like she'll get mad at us for saying that. You know, we used to get a lot of emails from Claire Tuggles coaches about her not liking the pictures we used on Swim Swam. So I would imagine she probably doesn't like that nickname. I just. But, Sorry, Claire. But let's make it a thing anyway. <laughs> Um, moving on, we got, we got a lot of college news today. So next on our college list, battle at the Burr, uh, they sold 2000 tickets. This was a dual meet between Howard and Georgetown. Uh, it was at Howard, which is the only D one HBCU that has a swimming and diving program, uh, sold 2000 tickets for a dual meet, uh, their coach, Nick Askew, who was inducted into the Howard swimming and diving or athletic hall of fame that day estimated that there were 1200 fans at this dual meet. I can't get over that. I mean, that's that that's more than ISL had <laughs> by a long shot at some meets. Um, what, what can other teams take away from how Howard is running their dual meets um, and creating quite simply a, a really electric environment to have a swim competition at. There are an incredible number of things they can, the teams can learn from this. I don't think we can cover them all in one podcast. Um, but off the top of my head, number one, Howard's pool is great for this because it's got seating on at least three sides. Um, you know, when I was at Texas A&M, Pat Henry, who's a legendary track and field coach built a, um, built an indoor track and field stadium that's now being torn down already 13 years later, but it was custom designed to where there was a sprint straightaway right in front of the fans 
to create the best atmosphere possible. If you are a college swim program and you've got the money, and, and to be clear, not all the college swim programs have the money, but some of them have the money. If you've got this new Big Ten TV money and you need somewhere to spend it, build yourself a swim arena that's not for training, it's just for meets. Have a DJ, Have invite non-swim people because swim people have become so jaded about in-season meets not meaning anything that they just sit on their hands the whole time. And anybody who's ever been to a swim meet has seen this happen. Um, so you've got to bring non-swim people because they will bring more energy. You've got to hype your meets up. You've got to make it more important than just a dual meet. I don't even know who won this meet. I'm the editor-in-chief of Swim Swim, and I don't know who won this meet. Um, oh, um, Georgetown did both sides. There you go. And that's, that's who I, that's what I would have expected. Um, Howard probably had the best swimmer in the meet, but Georgetown is, is a much deeper team. Um, it was was a two point difference on the men's side though. Yeah. It was really close on the men's side. Uh, Um, but you know, like it, it's energy is the word and ISL tried energy. They came up short in, in too many ways. You know, we got more pre-meet interviews, out of the Howard Georgetown dual meet than we did out of any ISL meet. Um, So, you know, ISL tried to go to IUPUI, put it in the big cavernous thing. They couldn't fill it up even when they started giving tickets away. So, you know, even with the DJ, it fell kind of flat. I think the expectation is that you have to make it gimmicky for that energy to be there. And I don't think you do. Um, I think this meet shows that, if you can find a rival and you can develop a rivalry and you can do it in a smart way, right? You can't just run around shouting and pointing fingers that such and such team suited and didn't tell us they were suiting. That that doesn't get people in the door. But if you can create a general, a genuine rivalry, come up with a trophy like they do in football or a, a branding like Battle at the Burr, have a, a traveling trophy that goes back and forth and hype it up. I don't know that anybody's going to get sell 2000 tickets for every meet of the year, but I think you, I think every college has the ability to sell out one dual meet a year and have a residual impact on that um, to other meets. Yeah. Along with what Graydon said, obviously there's a lot of things that other colleges would learn from, but one thing that I noticed about the battle at the Burr was that there was a narrative behind the meet and the narrative was that Howard was the only D1 HBCU program with a swim team and that was a really big deal for them and they saw it as like a really important I don't know how to describe it but it was really important for like black swimmers and just like HBC like HBCU Howard people I mean it was important for Howard people the yeah an, an executive of the biggest labor union in the country who is a Howard alum was tweeting about this yeah um so I think at almost every college meet, even with, even if they're dual meets that don't really matter, there can be a narrative that comes out of it. Like, for example, I'm thinking about the UVA versus Florida meet. That's Emma Wyant's, like, sort of like, she's coming back to her old college. Like, that could be a narrative. And you see these in, like, other sports. Like, for example, like, when Tom Brady, um, when he, he went back to, Gillette Stadium for the first time against the Patriots on a new team like that was a big deal and I think 
there's certain stories that you can get out of all dual meets and the battle at the burr meet really did a good job like pushing the narrative yeah and that's something we at swim slam scream from the rooftops at everybody who will listen and some people get it and some people don't the isl has never got that they've never understood here's what i tell people 85% of the spectator sport industry is driven by the narrative. 15% is driven by what happens on the field or in the pool or whatever. Um, people, you know, NFL offseason is as big as NFL in, in season. ESPN runs 50% of their content in the offseason still about football. They're not stupid. Like there's a reason they do that. People care about the narrative. They want to know about the rivalries. They want to know about the drama. People in swimming tend to be too worried about hurting each other's feelings. Um, and it's not that feelings don't matter. The sport just needs to embrace the narratives. They need to lean into these things. They need to do it in a healthy way. They need to figure out the healthy way to understand that the narratives are just the narratives. That doesn't mean, you know, MOI and going back to Virginia, it doesn't mean that everybody at Virginia hates MOI, right? Like, that's not the narrative. The narrative is just her going back and racing against her old teammates. And that gets people excited. Um, so that's a, that's a great one. Union. As an example of that, I talked to Mr. Todd DeSorbo at ASCA and, you know, I was like, Oh, Hey, I think we might be, I might be going to UVA UF. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's going to be a good one. Like the girls are fired up. You know, it's like, they love Emma but they want to beat her, you know? Right. And it's like, you can do that. Right. Right. Like LeBron James wants to beat the crap out of Chris Paul on the court, but they still go on vacation together in the off season. Like that's the difference between narrative and hurt feelings. Looking ahead in the NCAA, we put out two articles, one for men, one for women of, uh, of our top five breakout swimmers or sorry top five swimmers that could have a breakout season or that are ready to have a breakout season in the ncaa and i'm curious who you guys's top of those lists are or just one swimmer you're most excited to watch throughout the season naya funderburg ohio state um i think she made her point by qualifying for ncaa's off of the non-scoring team you know when i talked to bill dorncott before her freshman year all he had to say was she was an incredible athlete. She could have played college volleyball for people don't, who don't know. Her dad was a very famous basketball player. Um, and one of my favorite sayings is athletes going to athlete. Uh, I tell people this in pickleball all the time. Pickleball is full of non-athletes who work really hard to keep up with athletes who are just athleting. Um, and athletes rise to the top. Good athletes rise to the top. They figure out how to be good. And she's a great athlete and she figured out how to be good, even if it wasn't obvious to the coaches before big tens. Um, and I, I think again, that created a great narrative for Ohio state going forward, created a great narrative for the rest of us going forward. I, I don't know what she's going to do. I'm not making a prediction that she's going to win an NCAA title, but like I'm excited to watch what she does after that swim. My pick was, duke's sally foley just because i think duke is on the rise like obviously she had a really good season last year so her, she was a sophomore last year and her freshman year she went best times at accs but she added a lot 
at NCAAs. But then this year, she went best, more best times at ACCs. But then she turned it around. She made the A final in the 200 IM. She made the B final in the 200 breast, even though her time in the B final would have beaten some of the swimmers in the A finals. And I think she's coming in with a lot of momentum. And so is Duke because they have two incoming freshmen, one of them, which is the uh, Kaylin Gridley. She's the top 200 breaststroker in the class of 2022. And I think she's going to be that person leading Duke and its recruiting class like into like becoming like a rising team. And of the swimmers on that list, I think she was probably the least discussed name to this point, right? Like, I think she's the name that I think most people had to go look her up after reading it. Mm-hmm. I've got my eye on great journey woman story, Jasmine Nocentini of Northwestern. She's from Italy. She's lived in Panama. She went to Florida International, uh, where she was a conference champion and an NCAA qualifier in the 50 and 100 freestyle. After COVID, so after 1920 and 2021 seasons, two years at FIU, she transfers to Northwestern. And then last year, she's a two-time A finalist at Big Tens, qualifies for NCAAs again, even though she didn't swim at NCAAs, not quite sure why, but under head coach Katie with two more seasons of eligibility, I'm, I'm excited to see how far she can take this already soaring talent who is at 21-7 and 47-7 after last year. I think the best thing to come out of this fifth year's deal is swimmers like this. And I know it's not technically her fifth year, but it's a similar vibe. Um, you know, Sarah Watson at Akron is transferring after being an NCAA qualifier. I think it's going to be really cool to see these swimmers who rise at the mid-major level. Not that they couldn't transfer before, but like they previously, they weren't going to just transfer for their senior season. And now they're going to get a chance to go into a big program. And we're going to find out, you know, was this just a diamond in the rough who happened to break out when they got to college? And they were at a mid-major because they they their times in high school weren't that fast. Um, did the mid-major create them? Was that the best environment for them? Um, or can they go to the big programs with all the bells and whistles and the coaches and the training partners and do something really kind of stupid? Stupid, stupid, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, stupid in a good way. Yeah, I definitely think grad school is giving, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to call it an excuse, but like giving people a reason to like go to another school because a lot of people switch schools for grad school. And And they did their commitment, right? Yeah, especially with Ivy League fifth years, like JC Yeager to UVA and like Felicia Pasadens going to Ohio State. They didn't get to swim, they didn't get the opportunity to swim as much because the Ivy League canceled the 20 to 21 season and they're going to like a bigger program and they're getting that opportunity well that's our news for the week and now it's time to play some sink or swim first up today on sink or swim 57 percent say that no ncaa 
record held by Caleb Dressel will be falling this season after we asked which record of his is most likely to fall this season. Uh, sink or swim, any Caleb Dressel NCAA record will fall this season. I am going to swim no Dressel record falling this season. I think one of these guys could get it eventually. But again, when Dressel broke all of those records, he was 19-1 to open the season. Jordan Crick's 19-3 is very good, but I still think that's just too big of a leap uh, to get there this year. So I'm going to sink it, or I'm going to swim no Dressel records for this season. I'm going to swim it as well. I don't know why people thought that Dressel records were going on this year. I don't know if it was because <laughs> Josh Leando came I think in. That was my idea. <laughs> I don't know why people that thought was entering people's minds like definitely in the 50 free like obviously (laughs) that's not going down and then even in his 100 flying 100 free the fastest people in the ncaa right now minikov is a second off of dressel's 100 fly record seeliger is a second off of um not like almost a second off of his 100 free record and i just don't see any of these people dropping a second in a in, 150 yard event. To right. And Minikov is a world season. championship medalist too. So like we talk about Jordan Crooks, Oh my God, coming in as a world championship medalist already. So did Minikov and he still didn't get close. So we can't like, Oh, we can't totally oversell that. Okay. So <clears throat> a swim is no record. I'm sinking it. You write the questions. <laughs> I'm this is sinking toxic it. positivity. Yes, a prime example of toxic positivity. And and we said this last year on the women, or sorry, last week on the women's side. So I'm using the same logic again on the men's side. Brooks Curry, hundred free, last day, no relays. He's got no relays. He's gonna be. Yeah, I don't even think he has a third event. Oh, he swims a tuna free. I'm sorry, swims a tuna free. I think he's going to be fresher. I think he's continuing to level up. We just saw him go 41-6-ish, 42-0 at least in practice. Uh, he was, I, I think he was out 19 high, 20 point low to the feet. Um, I, I think he can go 39-8-9 in the 100. Okay, well... Brooks Curry also went 18-7 in practice last, last October and went 18-5 and only dropped two tenths at NCAAs. <laughs> so, yeah. So much Ooh, Brooks Curry hey. disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, we saw Leon Marchand take three wins in a dual meet against Georgia and Mizzou, 200 breast, where he went 157-6, 200 IM, 144.3 and 200 fly 143.2. I'm just curious which you think is most impressive. I think the 200 fly was the most impressive. It was hard for me to decide because all three of his times were like okay. They weren't obviously pretty good for a dual me unsuited, but they weren't anything super eye popping. And I'm just going to say 200 fly because he was racing Luca Orlando and Luca went 144, and he obviously Marchand is the world silver medalist in the 200 fly, but Luca Orlando finished second at NCAAs, and Marchand beat him by over a second. So I'm going with the 200 fly. Coleman, you go next. I want to dunk on both of you at the same time. 
I agree with Union. Turn and fly. 143-2 at this time of the season is just redonkulous. We haven't seen his true potential in the turn and fly short course yet because he swam 200 breast last year at NCAAs, where he won. And so, uh, yeah, for, for right now, 157 is good in the tuner breast. It's a little watered down with a 152 from Matt Fallon. Uh, 144 is also solid, but that's seven seconds off of his best time. But 143 in the tuner fly is uh, is is pretty eye-popping for right now. Do I think it's impressive that he went 143 in the tuner fly and beat Luca Orlando? I do. Was that his most impressive swim of the day? It was not his 400 free relay anchor split of 4264, which was a full second faster than Jack Dolan on the third leg was Leon Marchand's most impressive swim of the day, because now he's going to win the NCAA title in the 400 IM and he's going to anchor Arizona state to the 400 free relay title Mm. in the same meet. Who does that? Who has done that? Name anybody who's ever done that. Uh, Andrew Sellis car probably didn't probably didn't. That's didn't like, it's like Michael Phelps in level thing. range. Like that's, yeah. that's the list. I feel like Alex Walsh could do that, but she's probably not going to be anchoring a 400 free relay. Well, She'll she's still definitely on it though. Best time, but she probably could do that. She could probably do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the list is short. Touche. You didn't really answer the question, Brian, but that's okay. Yeah. You dunked. <laughs> you dunked. No, I, I dunked. And the, uh, dunking is always the answer. <laughs> Tell that to Blake Griffin. All right. Next up. Should Russian athletes who don't support the war be allowed to compete? The IOC is mulling it over. What do you think? I think, first of all, the IOC is doing what they need to do to play the middle. Um, I personally am okay with the philosophy of letting Russian athletes who don't support the war compete. However, I think the pragmatism of, of the standard you're going to apply to who supports the war and who doesn't support the war and how you are going to represent those athletes at the meet and i think it's just too complicated and what it feels like to me is an opening of the floodgates that will allow some sort of russian olympic committee like designation that allows the ioc to say that they have unleashed fury upon russia but haven't really done anything yeah my one question about this thing is like how are they gonna enforce this you can't go up to athletes and ask them like oh do you support the war do you not support the war and base their um base their participation off of that and also you have to think about the political repercussions that these athletes are facing about if speaking against the war speaking for the war and i think it's gonna it's really hard on the athletes to have them decide between being allowed to compete or being pers- or like condemned for their opinions on the situation. I just think it's going to be really hard to enforce and it could turn into something like ROC 
and, and all that. If if Putin is still in charge, he's going to manipulate the heck out of this. He's going to have them all s- declare that they don't support the war, send them off to the Olympics. And then during the Olympics, he's going to drop a video of them saying they support the war or when they come home, he's still going to parade them all out with their medals at at his ceremonies in support of the war. Like if you think Putin won't figure out a way to manipulate this sort of gray area, then you just don't understand him. Yeah, I got to I got to sink it as well. Again, the theory is great, but what is this going to be like a, an application form? of not supporting the war and then I'm not a lie detector with the right <laughs> and then with also with the potential repercussions that athletes could face for going against what Putin's saying if he doesn't manipulate them then it's like that's well, some putting of them, them are in, in the military right? dangerous situation <laughs> some of them are already in the military how, like, how can somebody in the military say they don't support in the Russian military say they don't support the war how do you think that's going to go down yeah so that's I I just gotta sink it for now and, and until they provide a very outlined and detailed plan that seems plausible. On the other side of the world, Adam Peaty says he will be in Melbourne for the 2022 short course world championships. Sink or swim, Peaty gets an SC world title. I'm gonna swim it. Um I don't think he's going to break a world record. I just think the field is a little bit soft and I think he's got some pent up energy after uh, not having a lot of big swims over the summer. I think with his, some of the changes he's undergone in his personal and professional life, he's going to be, have some time to to focus on his training. Um, I think he's kind of stepped back from PD, the personality a little bit, which I think is, is probably a good thing for him. And uh I don't know. I just get the sense that he's that he's going to be focused. I think I think Mel Marshall has a plan, um, a little behind the scenes detail. The interview we recently did with her, she reached out to us, not the other way around. And that says to me that she, you know, she's feeling confident about what they're doing. She feels good about what they're doing. Um, So I think I think he's got a gold medal in him. I don't know if he has a short course world record in him in December, but I do think he's got a gold medal in him based on the field that he will be facing. Yeah, I'm going to swim this as well, just because I think it's about time that he wins a short course (laughs) world title. I was looking at the all-time rankings for the 100 breast and the 50 breast, and he barely swims short course. He only really did it during ISL, and he still broke a world record. Well, it was dead to him for 12 months yeah but it's i do think it's gonna be close because nick fink was just over a tenth slower than his best time in both the 100 and the 50 and nick fink i feel like he's on this sort of rise and martin nangy i don't know if he's gonna be at short course worlds was he at short course worlds last year I don't remember, but that was a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think coming off the Commonwealth Games, he what like during the Commonwealth Games, he was still recovering from his foot injury. And I think after a few more months, um, he's gonna be in back in better shape. And 
his summer and his performances this summer are going to light a fire inside him. And I think he's going to win the world title, even though I think it's going to be close. Uh, Martin Nengi was in Abu Dhabi. He won two silvers in the 50 and the 100. Nick Fink won gold in the 50 and 200 and then bronze in the 100. Um, Yeah, I'm swimming it. I, I think we've seen what PD can do in short course. I think he'll have a good lump of training behind him. Nick Fink, man, I just feel like his his like habsy training has to catch up to him at some point. I agree. And just on paper, I can't bet for him, but I am rooting for him because it's awesome to see him move to Georgia Tech, get his masters, and win world titles all at the same time. No legit but, masters too. It's not like an MBA or something. It's an engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one that requires a lot of a lot of time and effort and smart people things, but I think Petey can do it. Yeah, I think he'll be focused. We've we've seen him have success in the ISL, and uh, I think he can do it in Australia too. Staying in Melbourne, uh, Canada, Canada uh, released their roster for the short course world champs, which included Ilya Karun. With this addition on the men's side, do you think that they will be able to win a relay medal? What's the relay? Lay out the relay for us. Well, the thing is, I don't really... So their free relays could be Javi, Ruslan, Ilya, Yuri Kissel. Their medley relay, 200 or 400, could be Javi Acevedo, Finley Knox, uh, Ilya Karun, and then Ruslan or Yuri Kissel. Um, and then there is the chance that he could be put on a mixed relay as well, which Canada won gold in and 2021, the mixed 200 free relay. It is worth noting that Kyla Sanchez and Josh Leander were on that relay and will not be at this meet. Yeah. I mean, to me with him, Canada's best relay you know again we have to put everything in context right like he's an all-time all-timer as an age grouper but not necessarily as a senior yet although he's he's certainly on that path um i think their top relay with an in-shape josh lando an in-shape marcus thormeyer i think that's a medal winning a medal worthy relay i don't know if this version of their relays is a metal worthy relay. But again, short course worlds, and especially with the being in Australia, I think, I think a lot of teams are going to send short benches to the meet just because of the cost and the distance and the time and whatever. So if I guess that's the opportunity, if it's another weird meet like last year and they can find a hole on a podium and fill it. Yeah. I'm going to sing this as well. I don't think, like, obviously, Ilya Karun is great for an age group swimmer, and he improved a lot, but there's really nothing that's pointing to the fact that he's going to make an immediate impact on the international stage and medal internationally, especially in sprint freestyle. His best short course time is a 44-2, which is good, but it's not spectacular, and I don't think he's, with him 
being there is going to single-handedly bring Canada up, especially since Liendo isn't there. And I actually, I'm looking at the results of Short Course Worlds from last year. Canada doesn't didn't even enter a men's 4x100 relay, and I don't think they were in the 4x50 either, so I don't really see it happening. Do we think he actually qualified? Do we think he actually qualified for the team, or do you think this is their way of begging him to stay with Canada? Like, do you or not begging, well, but sort of incentivizing him to stay as part of Team Canada long term rather than seeking U.S. citizenship? I, from what Ron told me, like he, this was. Th- th- they just they Ron and Ilya kind of decided this would be the best path for him is to go swim for Canada. I think just because it's e- it's easier to get on international teams, right? Um, so do I think he qualified? Probably not. But I also think that I, I, my guess would just be that like they were happy to have him and be like, yeah, come on over. But I I think Ilya was going to. I think Ilya made this decision independently of Swimming Canada. Did they even publish the qualification procedures? I don't think they did this year. I remember last year they did it based off long course times and people got mad over that, but I don't think they said anything this year. They just named the team. Yeah, I'm not sure. U.S. hasn't released their roster yet, have they? I think they're just coming out October 14th. They had a specific mm. date. Even the last year, they mm. were a week late. Than Annoying. Um, I'm sinking this also. I don't really think they're going to win a medal. But I will say that last year, as Union said, Canada men didn't even have relays at this meet. So I will think, I do think it will be exciting to see, hopefully, that their men can put together some strong relays and get those guys a little more experience so that they can win that Olympic bronze in Paris in the four by one. That's a clap back to last week for anybody who didn't watch <laughs> last week's episode. Uh, Ilya Karun could be that fourth leg. Could he, be two more, two more years. That makes sense. He'll have a year with Bowman as well. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, I mean, a, a year with Bowman. You mean he, a year is. with everybody's favorite assistant coach? Who, Herbie? Herbie. <laughs> we, I, I don't know if, if we're talking be, 100 uh, free. No, if we'll be, I don't know. I, I wonder what training group he will be in. I'm guessing it'll be mid distance, especially since he comes from Sandpipers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's our show. Tune in every week to the Swim Swam Breakdown for your week's news in swimming.